Why don't you go ahead and be seated? We're in a series called InstaFam about the family, one of my great passions. My heart is, my goal is that we would have strong families that could endure everything that is put before them, society, trials, trouble, life, and we've been just sharing some things and using humor and, and things of this nature. We'll use some more today, I'm sure, somewhere up in here. But you know what? Every family, no matter how straight it is, no matter how strong it is, will endure conflict. We've entitled today's message, hashtag the fight. No matter how perfect you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much you love your spouse and your children and they love you, everyone has intersections in their life where there is conflict. And there's conflict over many things, things like money, whether the budget or not, is there enough money? What about the debt? There's cultural differences, what culture you were raised in, how mama did it or how daddy did it. There's, there's the raising of children, all the different aspects of that that we deal with. There's extended family situations. There's favoritism within the family. There's personality conflicts. And we're gonna look at some of those things today because uh, when you take a, a new families, when a, when, a, when a man leaves his mom and dad and a woman leaves her mom and dad and they come together and, and start to live as one, there's going to be conflict there. You see, we, we keep trying to act like there's no conflict. We wanna write a song like, in Jesus there's no conflict, but many times in Jesus there's much more conflict than you ever have imagined. And so, you merge these two together and it's an awesome task and uh, some conflicts are seasonal. They last a little while, others are a long time. And some conflict that you may have may last all of your life. See, we're not in, we're not in the understanding anymore of Jesus make, <laughs> make, make everything perfect. The man who wrote that song was basically writing that song out of a broken heart of losing his, all of his businesses in a day and also losing most of his family in one moment of time. So it's, it's, it's a victory when things are all breaking loose and you still can stand and say, it is well with my soul. And the reason it is well with my soul is because Jesus is right and on the throne. That's what makes it right with my soul, not I feel good. Not I feel good. Man, I tell you, the only time you enjoy your family is when you feel good, I feel sorry for you. So. Let's get started. We're going to go into the Old Testament. I'll read a large portion of scripture out of Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, Bethuel an Armenian from Padamaran and the sister of Laban. Laban. Uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be, uh, they're gonna be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Remember that, please. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she had deed at twins. And the first one, uh, you know, when he was born, he was red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. 
Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. The word Jacob means deceiver or heel grabber. And then the other twin was born with his hand grasping, you know, so they're, they're, they're struggling. You can just about imagine. He said, I want to be first. No, I'm first. And there's a struggle going on. And as the boys grew up, Esau became a skilled hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac, he loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Remember that. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. And this is how Esau got his name Eden, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your birthright as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear, remember that, that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil soup or some stew, some gumbo, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Try to find a family in the Bible that didn't have conflict, couldn't find one. First family was born as just four human beings on the earth and one killed the other. Can't find it. David's household was full of all kind of conflict. Brother raping daughter, daughter, you know, brother raping sister and brother killing the other brother and all kinds of things like conspiracy and everything, murder, mayhem. And so it's full of conflict. And, and then I, I started just thinking around my life and, and the people that I've known in my life trying to find, is there one family that didn't have conflict and I couldn't find one there, not even mine. That's right. The pastor has conflict in his family sometime. And so uh, I thought, well, what's causing all this conflict? What's, what's the problem? What's going on? And so from this story, we see some of the things that cause conflict. And as you look at your own family, you may find some of these things here. It's not exhaustive, I'm sure, because we're very innovative in fighting. We'll find things to fight about even if there's nothing to fight about. We don't feel good. I don't feel good. You said that. Why did you say that? Why did you do this? So let me give you some biblical reasons for conflict, and let's take a look and see how we can go ahead and resolve those. First of all, you see it here. They're showing a favoritism in families. People show favoritism. People, believe it or not, have three kids, and one of them's their favorite. I never could understand that because I, I, I always was my daddy's favorite. I wouldn't know about that. I mean, we didn't know about no favorite. We didn't think any of us were favorite. It wasn't back then. It wasn't like it is now. Everybody's touchy feeling now. Back then it was go outside and play. Shut up and be quiet. <laughs> you want me to whip you? Boy, get out there and do something. Cut the grass. Go ahead and do that. You know, and so we, we were raised tougher and we weren't as soft. But favoritism. Bible says, <laughs> I'm trying, baby. I'm trying. Or I'm trying not to because I'll be here all day. <laughs> but fathers don't provoke your children to wrath, the Bible says. And so here, it, 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 what happens when you show favoritism to one child, it, it causes them to question their, their worth and their value. It causes them to, to, to have deep sibling rivalries because they're trying to gain the attention of the other. It creates conflict between mom and dad when you have a favorite child or favorite grandchild. And blended families, this is just an awesome task to overcome. And that is you like your kids better than, than you like my kids. And you always discipline my kids all the time. They never do nothing wrong. And you always fussing at them. And you think your kids are perfect. And 
And, and, and then you mix in our kids together and then we got that thing there and then all of a sudden it's like uh, the, the, the two families are trying to blend together and the, that little kid in the middle who's ours, he's getting bombarded because like you think you're so special. <laughs> they wanna dig a hole and put him in the pit like Joseph, you know what I'm talking about. And so blended families are like that. And then even in marriage, paying attention to one another. Even in marriage, there's favoritism between. You, you know, what's this new thing about you, you go get to do that and I get to do this. You got to do that twice. I get to do this twice. No, you got to do it three times. I'm only twice. And it causes conflict. You ought to be like me and Jan. We were dead broke. I know nobody did nothing. <laughs> but no matter what you're doing, what you doing? I'm cooking, that's what I'm doing. What you doing? I'm cutting the grass again. Bologna sandwich on the patio was special and fun. Hallelujah. But not only does it cause this kind of conflict of you know, showing favoritism cause conflict, but you know what else? Devaluing the prophetic word of God causes conflict. Now, I know some of you have gotten prophetic words and some of you don't even know what that means. That means you get a word from God about something that's gonna happen in the future and uh, if you devalue that, you probably never will see it happen. But let me just broaden this a little bit for you and tell you that the whole word of God is prophetic. And so we need to get words from God as leaders of our family to guide and steer our family and navigate through some of the things that we have to navigate through. And when we devalue the word of God, we have no direction in our family. We just are hoping and are praying that things are gonna turn out all right. And I wanna just let you know something. If you just let your family turn out, it may not turn out the way that you thought it would. You know what I'm saying? Sort of like never getting a haircut and you still wanna look good. Most of the time it ain't gonna happen. That hair end up going all over the place, if you understand what I'm talking about. But what does the word of God say about your family? Think about with that. I mean, come on, let's get down and think about it. Do you have a word from God for your family? Do you have a, a vision for your family, moms and dads? Do you see things? Are you observing your child like we talked last week? And are you planning things for their life? Are you funding their giftings and their callings? Do you see them? And are you giving money and time and energy to see those things developed in their life? Takes a lot of work. But you cannot devalue the prophetic word of God. Here, you know, they had already got a word from God. Rebecca went to God and said, what's up? He said, look, two great nations inside of you. They're gonna be a rival from birth, but the younger will rule over the older. There's the prophetic word. You're gonna see in a moment they devalue that. And then another thing is weak family communication. I wonder what happened between Isaac and Rebecca. She's pregnant, she's got this thing going on. Lord, what is it, has got two nations in there. It would have seemed like she would have ran in the room and talked to Isaac and said, Isaac, I just got a word from the Lord about my pregnancy and this is what's been going on, bro. But evidently that didn't take place. Evidently there was no family communication going on because there was no unified plan within that family. And so there was frustration. Isaac evidently was frustrated, Rebecca, by not conforming to what God said, although it seems like he didn't even know what God said. And so he's just going on. You know what he's going on? The oldest gets the blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. It's the way it's been done for generations, the blessing of the firstborn. Anyway, I'd rather, Isaac, I'd rather Esau than Jacob. Esau's a hunter, he's out there, he's tough, he's a real man. I mean, he's going out killing wild game, bringing in, getting that thing cooked up, I just love it. But Jacob, you know, he's, he's a mama's boy. He's up in the kitchen, cutting some onions and some beans up in the AC. 
It's exactly how it was. You see how it plays out. But yet the prophetic word had come already for him to lead. And Rebecca, you know, she's basically what she's saying is this. She's saying, you know what? Let me tell you something, Isaac. If you won't do it God's way, which by the way, I didn't tell you. So you, how would you know? If you won't do it God's way, we're going to fix it up. We'll do it. We'll do it God's way. I'll make this thing work. The sad thing is she's trying to make something work that God already said will work. Already said it. So many times that's going on because we all get a word from God. We're actually fighting against God or out of God's timing and wondering why it just doesn't work out. And you say, what's all this being able to follow God? You get serious with God. You go ahead and get serious with God, really, really serious with God and seek him and see if you won't start directing your path. And boy, is it exciting. Some of you wants to call to do great things, but you're not ready because you're not seeking him. Maybe we're too attached to this world. I'm not sure. There's weak family communication. Then there's cultural backgrounds that causes problems within families continually. Man, let me tell you something. Now, now I know in our church we've got all kind of diverse couples of, of everything, but you know, when you, when you marry somebody completely out of your culture, you got a little exercise you got to go through. You let a Cajun marry somebody from Vermont. If you're from Vermont, nothing against Vermont, but I'm just saying that, man, that's a long way off. And what used to be close, we come from Nova Scotia, but they kicked us out. You know why we ended up in Acadia down in South Louisiana? Because all the way down the eastern seaboard, they kept saying, not here, not here. Keep going, keep going all the way around Florida. Keep going. Finally, finally, we ended up in the bush down in the swamp, and, and there was nobody there to say, you know, it's an old story. What happened when a Cajun shows up in the woods and nobody's there? Can he stay? They said, yes, you can stay. People are so different. And yet, yet there's temperaments, there's extended favors, all these things, all these different cultures, I'm, uh, different personalities. I wonder how many of you, since our first message here, when I said, you know, it would do you good to do a personality test with your spouse, especially if you pay for it, you'll get, I wonder how, don't raise your hand because I don't want to get discouraged. How many of you, <laughs> took enough time to say, you know what? That might be a valid point and that might help us. Let me encourage you again to do that because you're still in conflict and you're still trying to change her. If you would just change, life would be better. Well, I'm telling you, she's probably not gonna change a whole lot and neither are you. So find out who you are and then try to fit it together. You gotta kind of move things around until finally and that's what you're hoping for, you understand? All this cultural background, all this stuff going on, all these different opinions. Mama used to do it this way, I'm doing it that way. And this is what's going on in people's lives continually. <laughs> Fighting. You're trying to change him. And I got news for you. Let me, can I say something to you ladies? The more you push on a man and push on him, we're just like a mule. I'm sorry, it is the way it is. We're gonna sit down and just sit down. <laughs> I know it's dumb. I know we look stupid sitting down, just sitting. But we just sit because you keep pushing and we just keep sitting. Selfishness is another thing. And I, I, I'm so tired of talking about selfishness. But every time I turn around, selfishness is right in my face, causing conflict continually. Pride always slanting the argument my way. If you would have, I wouldn't have. Look men and women blaming their spouses about 
she goes and she commits sin of whatever kind and all off base and she wants to say, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done. That will not hold water with God. I'm just going to tell you right now, stop it, stop it. It's no good. God says, time, time out. No good, no good, no good. Sort of like Alabama. I, I, I tried not to say it. I told the Lord, I promise, I made a vow, I broke a vow. It is the way it is. Talking about, talking about these problems, here we go. Satan, Satan is a problem, he's an enemy. If you'll come next week, we're gonna share with you how to spot the devil, your enemy, within the family, how he affects our family, but he causes conflict, he really does. Now, now when you find yourself in conflict, and every one of you are there, have been there, or will be there before the day is out. Some of you had conflict this morning. It comes in all shapes and sizes. It's a problem every way, which way. But there, there's, there's several ways to handle these conflicts. We've picked three out for you today on, on how to handle it. The first way some people handle conflict is that they just simply explode. Now, let me tell you about this. This is the easy way, and this is the way we like it. We love to explode. That means it's this way. Something happens, and you just get the reds, and boom, you just explode all over everybody. And, and you know what? That's the quickest, that's the easiest way that's, that brings gratification instantly. Look, Jacob and Rebecca plotted to get the blessing. Isaac's old, he can't see real well. Esau is out hunting, almost like for, for the last meal for Isaac. You know, he said, go get me something. So he's out in the woods hunting, and Rebecca says, I'm gonna make this thing work. I'm getting this boy the blessing. So they killed a goat. They put some skin of the goat, you know, the fur on his neck, fur on his arms, because Esau was very hairy, and so they made Jacob very hairy, and walks in there and says, who's this? He says, it's Esau. He, he smells, he said, hmm, smells like Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. But he got deceived, and so he blessed Jacob. He gave him the blessing of the firstborn. He stole the blessing away. Really, because Esau didn't care about it anyway, because he sold it for a bowl of soup. But watch this. He blesses him, and back then, a man's word was his word. That was it. Esau gave Jacob his word, and that was it. Isaac prayed over Jacob, and that was that. Nowadays, we say things we don't keep it. Our word is not very good. We have to have contracts and lawyers and stamps and all kinds of things. But let me tell you something. They deceived Isaac, and he got the blessing. And when Esau found out, he exploded. He said, I'm going to kill you. And look, when a big, hairy, red man who kills deers with his bare hand says, I'm going to kill you, I would be like Jacob. I would think, you know what? I grew up with this dude and I think he means what he means. He explodes. The problem with exploding, instant self-gratification. I told you I've been wanting to. But you know what? There's always collateral damage when people explode. If we blew up a bomb up in here right now, it might just blow me up, you know, but I tell you what, there'll be collateral damage all around. 
And anytime we explode in our family, we might have self-gratification and we might really blow up that one we're exploding against, whether it's our kid, whether it's grandma, whoever it is, but I'll tell you what we'll do. There's collateral damage all around. When mom and dad explode on one another in conflict, there's always collateral damage. And most of the time, it's emotional collateral damage and you don't see it on the outside, but inside there's a lot of pain going on. I like to explode, how about you? That's why I drive around town. You can just explode up in your car all day long. Just, you know, nobody knows how to drive but me. I'm the only person that knows how to drive. No one else knows. And no one else has anywhere to go that's important except me. And so we explode. Well, it's all right, just explode by yourself. Just hurt yourself. You know what? It creates an atmosphere in the home an atmosphere that says this, don't say that, don't do that. Dad might get angry. And all of a sudden, we've got this walking on eggshells atmosphere within the home and everybody is afraid to rattle the cage of the madman. Everybody's afraid. You're trying to, you got a little confrontation and mom's in the background going, And doesn't work. No real communication, just screaming and hollering, degrading, abuse. It happens in so many homes because we just want to gratify ourselves and explode. And then there's just the opposite of that. Some people explode, but many people implode. That's where they take everything that's going on, all the comments, and just keep pressing it down, pressing it down, internalizing everything, continually internalizing. Look good on the outside, seem like they're full of grace, even the fruit of the Spirit, but they're internalizing, they're internalizing. It's an accumulation, an internalization, an accumulation. Internalize, accumulate, internalize, accumulate, and next thing you know, it's deteriorate. Some people are very passive and then they become very aggressive. They're very, very quiet. You seem like they've got the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, look at them, they're so long-suffering, but they've got this bomb on the inside of them. And eventually, some people just implode. That's like explode, but it's inside. It causes all kinds of problems. All sorts of situations holding back. And a person that implodes once they explode on top of that, you got some bad, bad problems that go on. You can explode, you can implode. Really what you need to do though is decode. You really do. And that is the right way to handle this thing. Now, now what is the right way to handle conflict? Pastor, will you please give me five things that I can do that will change my situation or my attitude towards this thing of conflict because I can't stand it any longer. And by the way, I know that some of you are sitting right now in this room right now and you've got some situations that seem irreversible, that seem intolerable, that you don't see any way out at all. It's painful. It's irritating, it's disheartening. And this is where faith in Jesus Christ comes in. 
and being filled with the Spirit of God and being filled with the vision of God for all of eternity that gives you the power and the ability to stand strong in the midst of long-term conflict. I'm here to tell you that it's possible. It's possible for you or in that or if you're in a situation right now where somebody's taking your job or somebody on the job is riding you so hard that you hate to go to work tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. You just hate it. You know, I would like to give you five easy steps. But there are no five easy steps. Okay? I'm going to give you one step. One step, you ready? It may not be the step that you want because we're Americans and we want quick fix on everything we do. We want our car fixed. Five minute all change, it better be in five minutes. You told me five minutes, so take 10 bucks off because you took nine minutes. Nobody can change all in five minutes. I don't know why they do that, but watch this. Here's a step that each one of you can take. You ready? Here's, here's what it is. You ready? I'm going to give it to you. You have to take a biblical posture. You take a biblical posture when it comes to life, especially life with conflict. Now, what does that mean? Biblical posture. I suggest you read this whole story all the way from the 25th chapter through the 33rd, 34th chapter to find out what goes on. But Jacob, when Esau said, I'm going to kill you, Jacob ran away to Badamaran. Just, you know, like, let's say he ran, he ran over to Moss Point, okay, from here, all right? Mobile. He went to Mobile. He had an uncle there. His mother's brother lived there. Laban was his name. And he went there, and he went to work for this man. And then he fell in love with his daughter, Rachel. And he wanted to marry Rachel. And so he told Laban, I want to marry Rachel. He said, well, if you work for me seven years, I'll give you Rachel. He said, all right, fine. He, so they, they, get, they go through the marriage ceremony. But in those days, to consummate the marriage, you went into a tent at night. Well, he's in the tent. He wakes up the next morning. It's not, it's not, it's not Rachel. It's Leah, her sister, her older sister. And he gets all upset about being deceived in a tent. But you know what? He deceived his own father in a tent. Which tells us, you need to understand that a lot of times what you sow is what you will reap. And so he gets all upset. He goes to Laban. He says, it's our custom to marry the oldest one first. Talking about cultural differences and conflicts. He said, but I'll give you, Leah, I'll give you Rachel too. You've got to work seven more years. So he's 14 years into this thing already just to start he works hard he prospers many times Laban changes his his wages in other words he's jipping him out on what he's worth there's a lot of conflict keeps going on there going on there that's what he he ran from conflict into conflict and let me tell you something folks sometimes we want to run from conflict in relationships marry divorce do this do that want to run and there's more conflict now, that's a big subject that I could spend a whole seminar on about when to run and when to stay. Because there's biblical patterns for staying, there's biblical patterns for leaving. But here, he ran from conflict into more conflict. Not only that, 
he, he, he ran and ran. Finally, he gets the word from God to go back home. But guess who's at, at the house? Esau's at the house. And the last word he got from Esau is, I'm gonna kill you, and nothing's changed since then. And so he leaves his, his father-in-law there, you know, his uncle. He leaves there. He's going back home. There's all kind of conflict. You can read the whole story. And finally, he gets to a place where he knows he's got to meet Esau. He doesn't know what's going on. He's doing all kind of planning and plotting and trying to figure out how to do it because he still feels like Esau's going to kill him. And finally, he's all alone one night by himself, and he sees the Lord. It's a theophany. It's God in a man's body. He sees him. He engages him in conversation. And then they begin to wrestle. And they wrestle most of the night. I can't figure it out. I mean, I don't understand, but they wrestle and they wrestle and they wrestle until finally, you know, I think he's almost got God wore out. Maybe some of you almost got God wore out. <laughs> and he's wrestling with God. A good wrestle with God is needed. Some of you need to wrestle with God until you weep, until you just, you're wore out before God. And finally the Lord says, you know, I want to, I want to do something for you, Jacob. I'm going to do something you really need. You see, he let all his sheep go ahead of him, all his family go. Everything he owned was, was, was away from him, just him and the Lord. He said, now I'm going to give you what you really need. And the Bible says that, that, that God touched him in his hip and put his hip out of joint. And then the Lord said, now that I have your attention, now that you can't run any longer, let me tell you something, Jacob. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, which means deceiver. But your name will now be called Israel, the prince of God. Because you have prevailed with God. It's good to prevail with God. You get the real thing when you prevail with God. And you get everything that you need to handle the conflict. And Jacob left the fort, Jacob right there, just a fort in the river. He left there limping all the way until he met Esau. And when he met Esau, guess what happened? Esau fell on his neck and hugged him and said, well, yeah, bro, it's been a long time. How you doing? And you know what, Jacob, I can just see Jacob got his head smashed up against Esau's face going like. I thought he was going to kill me. Now he's hugging me. I know he's getting ready to stab me in the back, but it never did happen. A lot of the conflict that you've run from has long been gone. Some of you are estranged from your family and you think it's, all, it's already been gone and all you need to do is pick up the phone, write a letter, text somebody, or go see them, go drive by the house and say, hey, I just wanted to let you know I love you. You'd be surprised what God will do. But people who don't limp never humble themselves and never take the first step. Here's the biblical posture found in the New Testament out of James chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humble, humbly accept the word of God that he's planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. God, God wants to change you more than he wants to change your situation. You have to listen. You have to listen to God and you have to listen to people. You have to listen to your teenagers. You have to listen to your spouse. 
You have to listen to those in the extended family. You have to listen. You have to listen. Humble people listen. You have to hear what really is going on, not what you want to hear. Not all the positive stuff. We're so positive thinking, positive thinking that we, we won't even deal with the negative. We run from the negative. We have to speak to God and we have to speak to people. The way we communicate with people is we talk to them. We, we, we're honest with them. We, we speak to them. Nowadays we use text because we don't want to speak to people. It's so easy to just text somebody something. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. You know, it's just it's this wall going up. But, but, you know, we have to speak to God in prayer. We have to speak to people. We're listening to God. We're speaking to God. That's prayer. We're getting a word from God. We're listening to people, and we're able to speak the proper things into their life. If we'll listen from a non-selfish, a selfless point of view, you might be surprised what you hear from the other person. And then you may get angry. It's almost like, I want to say, quit trying so hard not to get angry. You can get angry. There are some things we need to get upset about. But the Bible says you can be angry, but don't sin. Don't just blow it up all over everything. Sometimes we get so guilty. I was angry. Lord, forgive me. I was angry. The Lord's been angry. I read this morning. He's angry sometimes. But he doesn't sin. You have to listen. You have to speak. And you have to watch how you get angry. So you say, Pastor Van, tell me, how do I apply this? Well, this is how how you apply this. You have to start praying and get God involved. Now let's stop all this prayerlessness and, and, and trying to fight everything with our intellect and our emotions and get God involved. I would suggest pray before you talk to anybody if there's a conflict. Get God involved in this thing. And watch how things happen. We just run ahead of God so many times. And then, you know, you've got to create safe environments within your family. Deliberate environments that you create that the whole family knows that it's safe to bring a conflict to the table. When I grew up, you could not bring a conflict to the table. You could not bring a conflict to the table. As a matter of fact, my whole life was in conflict. I'm not dishonoring anybody, but I'll tell you what right now. Don't rock the boat. Don't crack one eggshell. That's unhealthy. Very, very unhealthy. So you've got to restructure the patterns of conflict resolution. You've got to learn about it. You've got to learn your family. You've got to know what works. That brings life, not death. That brings freedom, not captivity when it comes to conflict. And then you've got to work hard on consistency. These are all in the biblical posture. This is what a biblical posture looks like. And without this, we just resort to the flesh, which is anger and domination, intimidation. In other words, I'm going to win this conflict. And men, we may be the worst possibly because there's so many things we can't win at anymore that we want to win something. And that's not always healthy because we are the head of the family. 
And so we should at least put forth an example to the family and should rush in and should calm the situation, not make it more volatile. Put the stamp of Jesus on the family. I mean, come to the rescue. You know what I'm talking about? But when you, when you open your shirt up, there's not an S on there. There's a C. There's a cross. It's not like I'm Superman. No, it's I'm following Christ. And I'm relying upon him to give me the wisdom to resolve this conflict in a healthy manner that causes my family to move forward rather than backwards. Bow your heads with me if you would. Just for a moment, folks. If you're sitting in conflict right now, I just want to pray with you just for a moment. And, and this is what I would like to do. I'd like for you to just kind of put all your weapons down. All of the, the feelings, all of the hostilities. And let's ask the Lord to touch you like he touched Jacob. Father, would you touch every individual in this room? Lord, I haven't spoken much today about how teenagers in that age and that time cause conflict but Lord God I'm asking you to touch our families I'm asking you Lord God to help us help me Father to handle things properly God give us wisdom from your throne from you God teach us how to do things properly Lead us to people and places and materials and words from your Bible on how we need to act, Lord. We trust you for that and thank you for it. Just keep meditating on that. And let me talk to some of you that are in the chair right now who you're in a conflict right now, maybe not with a person, but just with yourself about what about your Christianity? What about your life with God? Is it existence, not existence? What's, what's fighting against you, maybe keeping you from total surrender to God? If you're sitting in this chair right now and you, you say, Pastor Van, I've just been having this fight. I, I want to surrender to God, but you know, it's like, I'm not sure. What does it mean? What is it going to cost me? Look, don't worry about all that. You're if you want to move from death to life, anything's better than where you are. You're spiritually dead because of sin. I was, I know how it is. And Jesus is standing there and giving you life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray for any of you that would say, I want Jesus right now. If, if that's you, this is what I wanna do, right where you are. I just want you to just stick your hand up and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I wanna surrender to Jesus. Anybody in here? Thank you over here, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you in the back. Yes, over here on my left, thank you. Over here, all the way, thank you, ma'am. Right over here to my right, thank you. That's right, come on, let's do this thing. Let's give our hearts to Jesus. There is no hope in eternity without Jesus Christ as the king of your life. You who just raised your hand, if you mean business, and even if you didn't, open your heart up right now. Now let's just pray. This time I want all of us to pray this together to encourage those who are coming into the family. Just repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, would you receive me into your family? I turn from everything that offends you and I believe that Jesus died for me. 
And I believe he rose from the dead. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm giving you myself, totally surrendering to you and thanking you right now for making me part of your family. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, we can encourage those that just prayed. Come on, Pastor Jordan. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.